This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning, you're listening to the SM Show. On BFM 89.9, you're with me, Melissa Idris, Julian Ng, and also Kusu Chuang. It's now 9.36am on Wednesday, the 6th of January. And for this week's show, we're going to be looking at a research note from Bank of America. Their China strategist, David Chui's, uh, his report, 2016 Year Ahead, What May Trigger Financial Instability. Now, Bank of America thinks there is a 100% chance that China will experience a crisis. Yeah, I chose this story because um, this comes at a time when China's share market opened the first day of trading in 2016 with a 7% drop, triggered uh, the, uh, you know, the, the basically the, the broken curves and the, the whole market closed. Um, the CSI 300, um, it, it triggered the, um, what do you call it, the circuit breakers, right? And um, the contagion resultant, the resultant contagion affected the global markets all over the world. For that reason, I, I thought that I, 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 I was concerned that perhaps this was the start of a larger malaise for the Chinese share market and a sign of uh, more trouble for the Chinese economy and perhaps more distressingly for us in Malaysia because we do so much business with the Chinese uh, complex that uh, you know this hopefully this does not import to us. But I thought it was interesting that the, the, at the time all this occurred, the, uh, both us, uh, David Chui, came out with this report. I think if the, if it's a malaise, it would be a good thing. But this is an absolute crash, right? Yeah. Uh, because... Um, I mean, you, you're talking about 100% crisis, 100% chance of a crisis. Now, I don't normally place a lot of importance on predictions by analysts, right? But I think this one is interesting because uh, I remember that way back in the Asian financial crisis, a lot of very good things were said about Thailand. Thailand the Thai government came out to defend their policies and so on, and saying that the Thai baht would not be devalued, etc. But there were a band of analysts who thought that you know the Thai they they put their necks on the line and said the Thai baht would devalued. And we know the rest is history because the Thai baht did devalue and it caused the Asian financial crisis. So I'm just. Uh, asking us to um, uh, give know, consideration to yeah, this. Yeah, okay. because yeah. this report uh, could be saying something that's very significant. Okay, my, but my question is, last year we talked about China's slowdown. We've been talking about this for quite a while and we know it's coming as China kind of shifts gears and shifts the focus of its economy. But why now? Why is why is it that at the start, the first trading day of the year, China's uh, stock market plunged 7%, trading halted uh, mid-afternoon, and it's the worst on record for the very first day of trading. Well, right? let's have some perspective here because the Chinese share market, by and large, is traded by the Chinese. And there's only a small, uh, in relation to the larger population of the country, only a small percentage of the people trade markets in China. So it just shows that the people, that the small number of people that trade Chinese share market are actually quite concerned about the economy and quite concerned about the share market. Then the second thing is, David Chuya from Bofa has been sounding the alarm bell for some time now, for at least a few months, since the start of last year at least, okay? So he's, it's not as if it's something new he's been he's been sounding alarm bells in china for the last few months and the data he's postulated in this report to investors is he said and this this is empirical data from the bank of international settlements is data from reinhardt and rogoff is, is data from the in own internal merrill lynch both our global research showing that uh anytime a country uh takes on more than 40 percent of debt to gdp as a ratio over the span of a four-year period there's a rising probability of it falling into some kind of financial correction. The thing is with China, it has, between the years of 2009 to 2014, taken on debt 
equivalent to 75% of its GDP, the highest by far of any country around the world. Yeah, I, I think that um, they are kind of building the building the building blocks are there for some kind of a crash and a readjustment process, right? But I'm going to ask the question of how different this how different this is from what happened in America not too long ago in 2008 when they we suffered the global financial crisis because of over lending in the property sector. There was some kind of an adjustment, uh, stock market crashes, the banking sector was wobbled, and then the government uh, pumped money. The U.S. government pumped trillions and trillions of dollars into the market. Is China embarking on a situation where they are doing the QE before the crash? I mean, I, I know well, what they're this. Predict, they're predicting it before, and then they're, they're not predicting it. They're, they're, they're pretty spooked. It. They're pretty spooked about what's happening, right? Uh, but I think they the the pain is too great, and. China's unwillingness to handle the pain is the same as the the Americans, except that Americans did it did the bailouts after the crash, whereas China is trying to prevent this from doing something before uh, the actual crash happens. Right? The question is, how much resources do they have to continue to, uh, as this yeah. article says, exactly. evergreening the debt? Right? That's, exactly. It's a gr great word that he's he's using. Evergreening. Well, yeah. exactly. So yesterday's uh, you know, Monday's uh, plunge in the CSI 300 was the equivalent of losing 600 billion dollars of market value. Okay. Um, and the PBOC stepped in to try and invigorate and, and try and massage the market markets back to life. I think it threw, threw something like 20 billion US dollars at the market, and it just didn't do very much at all. Okay, so that's the issue. And on Tuesday, we saw a bit of a return to normalcy in the first few hours of trading day, but by the end of the trading day, again fell into collapse. Now the thing is, um, investors have kind of like believed in the China story for a number of reasons. And according to David Choi, it's because of five main reasons, right? The government of China has always prevented a sharp slowdown in GDP by running pro-growth policies. It's up until at least two years ago, always appreciated the renminbi against the dollar. And uh, number three, it's also always supported the Asia market. Number four, the government will not allow any major debt defaults. And number five, the Chinese government will always hold up the property market because it's so key to the financial system and local government income. But the thing is, according to David Chu, in 2016, the wheels are going to come off. And it's going to come off for a variety of reasons. And he goes into that as well. Now, just echoing what David Chui is saying, uh, there was a very interesting report, extremely interesting actually, that uh, was produced by Goldman Sachs. And really, they take out data, they glean data from around the world to show the difference between uh, 2015 and five years ago in 2010. If you look at some of the data for China, uh, average wages in China over the last five years grew 54% in spite of what's happening on, on in the economy, the slowdown in the economy. Um, and there was a chart uh, within the same Goldman Sachs report about where global growth would be ex-China, right? We're talking about uh, right now uh, global gro growth of, I don't know, 3-4% uh, um, uh, in the world. Right. But if you took out China, global growth will be a lot lower and the gap is just very, very conspicuous, very glaring actually. So I, I think it does echo some kind of uh, sense of artificiality about what's going on in China. Absolutely, right now. because and and you know perhaps the Chinese government have been supporting the China market because it's the face, it's the it, it is the window to the, the one world. The face is it? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because the share market is the window to the world of the larger China, because Chinese economy. Because any share market is a reflection of that economy. Now the reason why David Chu has said that the China, the risk of a Chinese crisis is one hundred percent is because the data they've gleaned. Anytime a, uh, an economy takes on more than 40, uh, more than forty percent of that, that, so the probability rises. In China's case, anytime it's re it's gone past the sixty percent ratio of GDP, 
it has a 100% chance. And, and China is at 75%. It's 15% higher than the maximum ban under the BIS and right hand at Rogoff. Whereas uh, Malaysia, we're at 55%, right? Ah, okay. So out of this whole list, <laughs> <laughs> it's very interesting because Malaysia is somewhere there. Malaysia is something like 20 odd percent of uh, GDP as at um, the five-year period between 2009 and 2014, which means there's a 71% chance of financial instability in, in Malaysia, according to the Reinhardt and Rogoff wow. chart. Okay, this week we're looking at uh, the re a research note from Bank of America, their China strategist, David Chui. He wrote that uh, this year, 100% possibility or probability that China will experience a, a crash or crisis. Uh, and we've d we're discussing the merits of his argument. But personally, do you think that it will happen this year? What makes so this year different? I, I think this is about crash now or crash later, right? Correct. It's about whether Question of time. Right, whether you can Question take the pain. So um, what Xi, Jin, uh, Xi Jinping is doing is actually very telling because he has gone on some kind of a corruption witch hunt. Is this a sign that he is kind of disinterested and detached from what's happening in the corporate world? You know, he's not playing that corporate game and therefore he's more willing to take the pain and allow a Chinese, uh, the Chinese market to go down so that you can take the pain immediately and adjust the price, uh, the distortions uh, immediately, right? I don't know. I, I think I'm just speculating here. What, well, what would you guys do if you well, were Well, these events, right? Xi Jinping's uh, anti-corruption drive, the PBOC supporting the share market failed, we might add. Um, to me, these are all um, indicators that the Chinese government and the Communist Party knows how, how large the scale of the problem is. Now, according to David Chui of, of BOFA, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, he reckons that 2016 might be the year this happens because... Um, because of a few things, okay? Now, um, the, the reason it hasn't happened until now, he reckons, is because um, there have been uh, this whole issue about debt-funded stimulus and, and con continuously refreshing uh, the whole debt uh, situation, the whole uh, debt burden. Um, now, of course, um, for example, um, he, he, he says that... Um, <laughs> and this is very complex, okay? Okay, he, break he it down, break it down slowly. Yeah. Mm. Sometimes okay. we may not be able to break it down as well. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so for example, he says that in the past, the Chinese government has always supported the yuan and always allowed the yuan to appreciate against the dollar, right? Um, and, and the US government has, said a, has made a big issue about this. They've always said that the yuan is not uh, uh, correctly priced. Now Manipula we have seen Currency manipulators. Correct. We have seen in the last few months the yuan fall so fast against the dollar and and many people say it might even hit seven to the to the greenback, where it's about it's about six point five three or six point five four right now. So that's that's one indicator. And a yuan devaluation is very destabilizing for the Chinese economy because it means they've got to work that much harder to make that much more money, right? Even though the exports are more competitive overseas. Yeah, I was just about to say, don't you yeah. think that this would um, in, in a way spur their economy because exports are much cheaper? And this is where we will have to, we as Malaysia and neighbouring other uh, ASEAN countries will have to worry because if China, uh, the yuan is cheaper, exports are cheaper, it's a lot cheaper to do business with not, China. I don't think it's something that they can will uh, into existence, uh, export growth and so on, because their capacities are too high. Uh, they have been building over the last few years uh, for a market that isn't there. So to what extent uh, this can help exports, I think that's uh, arguable. Um, and that's why they're trying to restructure the economy into something that is more consumptive. We talked about timing of this crash earlier. What do you think will be the trigger? I mean, what will set this off like you know, really tip it off the edge. 
Well, any number of reason, any number of a bunch of reasons, right? Um, for example, um, the A share market, which is the home, which is the Chinese share market, right? Um, because the government supported the Chinese share market so 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 considerably, um, one of the reasons why Chui reckons that twenty sixteen might be the year it all collapses is because of the amount of debt the people themselves took on to invest in the share market or to rather to speculate in the share market, and that's an edifice alone, which is which is probably sufficient to cause the market to tumble because um, what is the population of China? 1.3, 1.4 billion people. Something like 50 million Chinese already speculate on the share market. What, what would you do though? What would you do if you were the most powerful man in China? How would you manage the situation? Who knows, right? The, the, the problem is too big. And according to Bofa, it's, it's gone past the point of no would return. Would you go through the pain? Would you actually allow things to, to go? And you just wouldn't, go? would you? You've got no courage. You don't have the... Dare I say it? The balls to do but, it. But would you let everything <laughs> collapse just to build it back up? I don't know, Jules. That's a really good question. I mean, ca- if if it is the point of no return, we're just heading downhill from here. And why why suffer the pain? Why change anything then, right? Well, what happened to free market principles, right? If things collapse and if people find value in it, they'll come back to buy you. And also, you know, the the three to four to five whatever number of trillions of dollars that the United States uh, spent protecting the banking sector, could that have been spent uh, protecting the nation instead? Uh, instead of uh, giving it to the banking sector, why not give it to the nation uh, to invest in very productive investments, innovative products, and then uh, let other investors come in to buy up uh, the financial system on the cheap, right? I just read news that uh, Iceland is prosecuting bankers for causing the crisis in that country. And Switzerland, you know, the home of private bank yeah. accounts and, and so on, uh, are thinking of doing this, is doing thinking of doing the same thing as well. So uh, what is this preoccupation with actually trying to insulate the banking system and the stock market and all these uh, financial platforms from collapse and from trouble? Because I think I suspect that the central bankers of this world, and including especially the Federal Reserve, are populated and staffed by ex-bankers who have... It's a revolving door. It's a revolving door. Wall Street and Washington, isn't it? Correct. And look, I mean, the Americans didn't have the balls to do it in 2008, right? They didn't, right? They didn't allow the... the (laughs) 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 They were too big to fail, to coin the Michael Moore phrase. And who's to say the Chinese have the balls to do it as well? They don't. <laughs> That's a lot of balls in one <laughs> in one show, Julian. So, so just to ask that question, you asked Chuang back to you. You would take the pain if you were the, the most powerful man don't in China. Ask well, I, I, I would say yes. This <laughs> is Julian. I'm I, I would uh, allow allow the people who want to take risks to take the pain, but I would try to kind of try to have some kind of uh, social safety margin uh, for the rest of the people whose fault it wasn't to you know, bloat up the financial system. But I guess in China's case, it's a little bit more tricky because as you say, a lot of household has g- uh, gone into debt up, up to their eyeballs as well, buying into their condos Well, and it's so precisely that social safety net which has gotten China into trouble in the first place. You look at it, right? There's a property guarantee that, that basically that meant no investor could default or, 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 or fail on any project. That, according to Bofa, has put drove a lot of national savings into one of the most unproductive areas of the economy. Now, we've seen that there's a property glut in China. There's ghost cities, there's ghost towns. Mm-hmm. People would have bought properties with no rental, no yield, no capital appreciation. Well, this, the social safety net doesn't have to come in the form of giving direct money directly to people. It can come in the form of giving food to people, giving education so that you can come up with the kind of innovation to support your long-term growth, right? Is 
not so simplistic as what the Chinese government has done in the past by you know putting money, propping up the share market and the property market. I don't short think, term, la, short term. Yeah, that's very short term, and that doesn't say anything about the productive capacity of the nation. Uh, the, I think the biggest asset the nation can have is its innovation, is the people, right? Uh, so the Chinese government is in a position, or, or any government for that matter, is in a position to throw money at the potential of its people. Now, assuming that Chinese government even do take the pain, okay, what's going to happen? It's all well and good if the pain is contained within China's uh, boundaries. But it's but not. It's not, yeah. it's not at all because China has done so much business with so much of the world that everybody will fall sick if China falls sick. I mean, if China gets cancer, the rest of the world will get cancer, right? You look at look at Malaysia, right? They're the biggest trading partners for us. They supply everything from bridges to cars to construction to property projects. They the the tourist dollar alone drives much of our, uh, you know, our health, our, our travel, and and. Uh, I think the problem. I think the problem with this is that there is the a fair industry. I think there is a fair amount of national pride involved in this because you don't want foreigners taking up your assets on the cheap, right? Because if you look at the the cash hoard of American companies, I mean, you're talking about trillions, right? Why finance a QE through government money in when you can actually let pr the private sector do it on your behalf? So if you let prices adjust and all these the apples and uh, whatever of the world, uh, apples and Googles of the world invest in your country that may not be a bad thing but you can't do it because of strategic interest right because i'm doing my air quotes here right Str <laughs> strategic interest you can't do it i'm, I'm sure there's money not only in america uh, in places like uh, the uk europe uh, private money from uh, in the indian and chinese diaspora all of this is enough to provide you with the required funding of a qe that is priced more accurately i think well i mean okay let's just Let's just cite this example of the Penang Transport Master Plan, okay? Because it's very close to me and and you as well, Monisa. Yeah. Right. It's it's said to be something like fifty billion ringgit, and the way the Ch Penang government has gone about doing this is to allow the Chinese um, government and you know the the CREC to come in and to build all these uh, tunnels and bridges and highways in return for land uh, re land reclamation. Yep. Okay. Now the amount of in employment, the 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 economic multiplier of those projects would be huge. Okay. If that entire co complex were to somehow crumble overnight, or at least in co over the course of a few months, what's it going to do um, for Penang? It's going to result in a lot of abandoned projects. It's going to yeah. result in, in money, uh, capital being constricted to the subcontractors and the contractors. It's going to result in abandoned uh, you know, eyesores. It's going to result in uh, you know, uh, large swaths of uh, you know, half-reclaimed land. So it's going to disturb the environment. I think there's all kinds of stuff. So you got to ask yourself, as if you're Lim Guan Ng, uh, whether improving the traffic situation uh, in Penang builds the future of Penang. What what is the difference between that and uh, building schools, right? Paying teachers, uh, equipping because your there's no pol there's no economic multiplier to schools and universities absolutely and, and in, the fields, in the short right? term, right? Yeah. There, there, there is. And that. if you're a policymaker, you sell to the highest bidder, and the highest bidder has been the Chinese government for Malaysia for at least the last three or four years. The Americans have no money. Yeah. The Americans are not here, at least. So, so but the bottom line is that if China falls, everyone will everyone feel falls. the pain. And yeah. look at you know, Bandar Malaysia, TRX, Iskandar. Many elements uh, many, in the Malaysian many. economy. Okay, it's now 9.56 a.m. You've been listening to the SNM show. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'm Melissa Idris. Julian Ng and Kusu Chuang was with me. Uh, 10 o'clock news is up next on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to BFM89.9.
bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.